Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. For much of the spring and the summer, we've heard pundits and politicians say there's a crisis at the southern border. This week, we take a look at the border by numbers. We've all heard the rhetoric and seen the pictures of large groups of people trying to cross the border. Numbers from the Border Patrol show 2019 was a record year at the time with close to 850,000 apprehensions. But 2021 has passed that with 1.2 million apprehensions border-wide. Arizona has two Border Patrol sectors, Yuma and Tucson. And while the state has not seen the numbers of border crossers that parts of Texas have, Border Patrol agents here in Arizona have apprehended more than 230,000 border crossers this fiscal year. Border Patrol data show in Tucson since the start of the fiscal year last October, nearly 157,000 apprehensions have been made. And in Yuma, agents have picked up close to 75,000 crossers. John Maudlin, the Border Patrol sector chief for Tucson, says there are differences between the sectors in the state. Tucson sector covers from the, the New Mexico state line to, to Ajo. That's, that's, that's the numbers I would be talking about. There are still other numbers in Arizona that would be Yuma related. There's another sector over there, so that wouldn't be part of this. So fiscal year to date, we're up over 155,000 apprehensions here in, in Tucson sector. That's more than a 200% increase from last year. To put it in even sort of maybe more, more acute perspective, um, if you took all of fiscal year 19 and all of fiscal year 20, we've already surpassed that fiscal year to date in 21. So in less than a year, we, we've, we've had more encounters than we had in those 24 months combined, with 19 being the year of the caravans and, and you know, that, that sort of activity. So incredibly busy here this year. It looks like Yuma gets a lot of families. Tucson sector gets a lot of single adults. Is that correct? And is there any reason you all have that that appears that way? The border is not the same everywhere. What you're seeing in Rio Grande Valley and Del Rio, Texas and Yuma is very different than what we see here. To to the point you just made, about 85 percent of our encounters are single adults. The vast majority of those being male, um, and that is a that is very different than these other places that have the very large give-up groups that are predominantly families, a lot of unaccompanied children. We still we deal with that a little bit here, um, but but very very different. The 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 demographics that we deal with here are those single adults again, predominantly males, that are doing everything they can to avoid apprehension. These are not um, individuals that are crossing the border and turning themselves into the first border patrol agent or even looking for for the the first border station. These are individuals that are clad uh, head to toe in camouflage um, and again, do everything possible to avoid detection and apprehension. Does that mean as a result, we have more drug smuggling, human smuggling, weapons smuggling, something like that, because it's individuals who are trying very hard not to be found? So I don't know the um, the stats across the board to say where we where we line up with the other sectors. Um, we have seen a significant increase in hard narcotics through this area, fentanyl especially. About I think it's it's up over 100 percent over this time last year. Um, a sharp decrease in, in marijuana trafficking across the border, but certainly fentanyl is up is up quite a bit. Does patrolling Tucson sector as a result of the different type of of traffic coming across the border differ than patrolling Yuma sector or wherever? So 
Yeah, patrolling or at least securing the border is different different everywhere. My career, um, I started in San Diego. I went up to Detroit sector, Washington D.C. Currently, I'm I'm in Miami sector, and, and now I'm here. So, um, and the border is patrolled differently everywhere. Certainly, when you have large groups giving up the way they do in these other sectors, that um, that that does take a whole lot of of. Uh, of personnel and, and effort, and, and it happens here as well when a large group crosses the border, and all of these groups are are, are using the um, the smuggling organizations to come across the border. So then, in turn, the smuggling or organizations tend to shape the border because when that group comes across, our assets have to deal with that, especially because you're dealing with um, with a vulnerable population. You're dealing with very young children. You know, you're dealing with people that potentially um, have sustained some injury on the, on their trip. So our first priority is to uh, is to, to go through those groups and make sure that, that they're getting the care that they need, which pulls us away from the traditional border security mission. When we do go to those big groups, it would seem like that it would take more agents to deal with that group, and it could pull you off of other things, be it patrolling or even rescues. Is that a correct assumption? It is, and you know the vast majority of these groups cross in the most remote areas that we have. So um, these are these are places that can take us hours to get to, um, just to get to those groups, triage what's in that group if, if anyone needs immediate care, and then get them out of those very uh, very dangerous environments where they've been left off, and get them to our facilities and start running the checks and everything that we need to. That was John Maudlin, the Border Patrol's Tucson sector chief. The apprehension data released by the Border Patrol each month is broken down into three categories, single adults, families, and unaccompanied children. As Maudlin said, single adults are the biggest group coming to the Tucson sector, but it still has its share of unaccompanied children. We're up over 15,000 unaccompanied children this year, um, which the highest year for Tucson sector was about 9,000, and that was in 2013. The apprehension numbers from the Border Patrol don't take repeat crossers into account, a number referred to as recidivism. Data released by the Border Patrol shows that number rose to more than 30% some months this year. It's more than double the average rate pre-pandemic. Aaron Reichland Melnick with the American Immigration Council helps us put the numbers in context. When we talk about high levels of border apprehensions at the border, we have to keep in mind that low apprehensions is a very modern phenomenon. From a period of about the 1970s, the late 1970s through around 2006, 2007, we routinely saw more than 1 million people apprehended at the border every single year. A phenomenon that uh, was known at the time as circular migration, where it was primarily Mexican uh, adults crossing the border for the United States, working for a few years, and then returning back to Mexico after that. Um, following the financial crisis in 2007-2008, um, these patterns of in migration changed. And for about a decade, we saw significantly fewer single adults coming to the border looking for work. That doesn't mean we didn't see a periodic spikes in migration. Uh, beginning in 2014, we started seeing asylum seekers come to the border in larger numbers, um, a cycle we've seen repeat in 2016, 2018, 2019, and now 2021. So what we are seeing today is in some ways a combination of the 
migration patterns of single adults from 15, 20 years ago with a slightly smaller spike of asylum seekers than we saw in 2019. Are we seeing more recidivism, which appears on the surface to make it look like there are more people trying to cross the border than really maybe there are? That's exactly right. So under Title 42, individuals from Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador can be quickly so-called expelled back to Mexico. And unlike in the past, individuals who would be deported would receive a deportation order. Um, and then if they cross the border again, could be subject to felony prosecution for illegal reentry. But under Title 42, individuals who are apprehended at the border are quickly turned around within a matter of hours and sent back to Mexico, which is very similar to what actually used to happen at the border through a practice what was known then as voluntary returns, or as advocates often called them, involuntary returns, where people would be sent right back to Mexico without a deportation order and then cross again 24 or 48 hours later. So we know that, for instance, in March, 28% of all apprehensions were of somebody who had previously crossed the border. We don't know whether that means that uh, that could be tens of thousands of people crossing twice, thousands of people crossing three or four times, so we can't tell the exact numbers coming to the border because many people are crossing the border multiple times under Title 42, which is actually why border apprehensions began spiking last year, right after Title 42 went in place in, in March of 2020. That was Aaron Reitland Melnick with the American Immigration Council. Since we spoke earlier this summer, the number of apprehensions has continued to rise, even with recidivism rates taken into account. As we talked about earlier, most apprehensions in the Tucson sector are of single adults, and that means more expulsions. Elisa Resnick takes us to see what that looks like along the border in Arizona. It's a cool early morning at the border crossing in Agua Prieta, just across from Douglas, Arizona. Customs and Border Protection officers are moving big orange cones out of the road, getting ready for the port to open to travelers. And they're opening up lanes now at 6, which is good. Next to them, Sister Judy Borg is watching another group of travelers arrive. Yeah, he's sending them in. One, two, three, four, five, six. Berg is a Catholic nun with short brown hair and glasses. She starts most days at the Migrant Resource Center. It's an aid outpost a few steps away from the crossing in El Prieta. She gets here at 2 or 3 in the morning. They could be Mexicans. And so... She's watching a big white Department of Homeland Security bus pull into the port and about 40 migrants step off it. This is already the second group of migrants she's helping today. None of them have shoelaces. Those are taken by the Border Patrol while they're in custody. Almost all are limping from blisters and other injuries sustained in the desert. As many as 100 people are dropped off by the Border Patrol in Agua Prieta every day. Berg says they are overwhelmingly single adults from Central America and Mexico. She says they're here looking for a better life. These people have no intentions of claiming asylum. These people are here looking for work. The Border Patrol sends most single adults back across the border right after their apprehension because of Title 42. From there, volunteers like Berg greet them with coffee and food. 
They also give medical attention to migrants with injuries. Norberto, who'd only give his first name, was looking for shoes. He says his shoes broke when he was jumping from the border wall. He was looking for another pair to try and cross again. It would be his sixth attempt. Berg says she sees some of the same people over and over again. One woman from Michoacan has been here more times than she can remember. Young gal, sweet, sweet, sweet. And uh, she just kind of runs up, gives me a big hug. And um, so I'm hoping she made it. That's why the numbers, as we know, are not accurate. As we heard earlier, the number of repeat crossings has skyrocketed during the pandemic. Under Title 42, most migrants don't face the same legal repercussions for crossing multiple times. But it also means that people who are trying to claim asylum in the U.S. are essentially blocked. The Kino Border Initiative is a shelter for migrants in Nogales, Sonora. It's just a few blocks from the Arizona border about two hours' drive from Aguaprieta and Douglas. An air conditioning unit worked hard against a muggy June morning there as about a dozen families filed into a conference room. That's Chelsea Sacco with the legal aid group Florence Immigrant and Refugee Rights Project. She and other lawyers make the trip here from Arizona almost every day to give this presentation. It's a sort of crash course in immigration policy in the United States. She starts by telling them that right now, the border for asylum seekers is closed. That's because of Title 42, she says. Though unaccompanied children and some families are no longer subject to the protocol under Biden, hundreds of thousands of people have still been turned away this year. But in May, the administration announced a new program that asked a group of humanitarian groups to identify migrants most in need of asylum to bypass the policy. NGOs recommend migrants for entry, give them a COVID test in Mexico, and escort them to the port to be processed by DHS. But the program is complicated. Nogales is the only port in Arizona where processing is happening. NGOs agreed to take part in the process until the end of July because they hoped that would be when the Biden administration would begin rolling back Title 42. Olga Byrne with the International Rescue Committee, or IRC, says when that didn't happen, her organization pulled out of the effort. We did not want to enable the prolongation of of Title 42, because again, our position is that it should be rescinded, that there is not a, uh, you know, a valid public health reason for violating the right to seek asylum. Byrne says the IRC is still working through a backlog of about 100 asylum seekers already part of the program. But after they're sent to DHS, the exemption program will end in Arizona. Chelsea Sacco with the Florence Project says as it winds down, asylum seekers in Nogales are getting more and more desperate. I've gotten numerous calls in the middle of the night about urgent medical situations or kidnapping or other really awful atrocities that my clients have been subjected to because they have just been sort of displaced. Sako says her organization is still doing asylum orientations for about 120 people a day. But now that the exemption program is ending, there's no path to seek asylum. That means, at least for now, there's no easy answer she can give to migrants who are here trying. For The Buzz, 
I'm Elisa Resnick. This week, we're taking a look at the border by numbers. Many of the large groups of immigrants we've seen are asylum seekers. But what does that mean? For an explanation and a look at the asylum numbers, we turn to Austin Coker with the Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, or TRAC, at Syracuse University. Asylum is a form of legal protection um, that is available for people who are fleeing violence and fear persecution, either past persecution or the threat of persecution, and has been around uh, legally uh, since the aftermath of World War II, but as a practice has been around almost as long as human recorded human history. Uh, cities have offered forms of sanctuary and asylum to, to individuals fleeing war and violence. Churches and other religious institutions have provided asylum uh, to, to people. So it's it's been around for a very long time. As it exists today, especially along the U.S.-Mexico border, um, asylum is... Uh, is something that that anyone can can come to the U.S. Mexico border and request um, from the U.S. government and go through a process where they can have their claim decided. What are some of the parameters for getting asylum, and what is that process? To qualify for asylum, you have to either have faced or have the threat of facing persecution based on your race, your religion your nationality, your political opinion or views, or membership in a particular social group. Once you present yourself at the border in this case and claim that, what's the process? Now, in practice, the way that this happens at the border is that they most often, because of all kinds of barriers and challenges to getting to the ports of entry, the actual places that people drive back and forth on a daily basis, many of them uh, go to the U.S.-Mexico border between ports of entry and cross allegedly unlawfully and then essentially turn themselves in to the Border Patrol agents in order to request asylum. Uh, for individuals who take that path, which is, which is many, really most at this point, um, to, uh, the government has two options. They can put them through the asylum process or they can deport them or turn them back immediately. For those individuals who've requested asylum, they, they first go through what's called a credible fear interview or screening. This doesn't give people asylum, but it does give them a chance, if they pass, to make a full asylum claim. And probably the most important thing to know for your listeners is that asylum claims are very complicated kinds of cases. They're not the kind of thing that you sit across the table for 20 or 30 minutes and talk to a Border Patrol officer and, and they make a determination. This takes weeks and months and sometimes years uh, to play out and get a final decision. How often are those asylum claims successful? So right now, uh, about 30% of asylum claims that are made in that fashion and decided by an immigration judge in court are, are actually successful in the end. Most, about 70%, a little bit more than 70%, um, are ultimately de denied. And typically that denial, uh, virtually as a rule, comes with a, what's called a deportation order. With the last year, the events of the last year, especially COVID, has asylum become more difficult to obtain or maybe easier to obtain? It's hard to say because there are so many different um, 
sort of factors along the way. So I'll just give you an example. You know, in the scenario I described about coming to the border and requesting asylum, one has to cross the border and turn themselves into an agent and request asylum. Now, in practice, uh, a policy that was started under the Trump administration and continues to this day under the Biden administration is called is what's called Title 42. Allegedly, Title 42 was put in place for uh, public health concerns because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but there's long been evidence and controversy about whether that was actually justified or whether that was more of a justification that the Trump administration used. But regardless, it has changed the way that asylum cases are processed and in a way has erected a first level kind of barrier before that individual ever even gets to a judge. For the first time since Title 42 took effect, there were fewer people expelled than were taken into custody. What do those numbers tell us? It does look like under the Biden administration, they are processing uh, more people than they did under the Trump administration. Uh, the data that we look at, the data that we have a really uh, close granular look at is, is the immigration court data. Um, and so what we, our sort of starting point for a lot of these asylum cases are how many of those individuals are actually put in front of an immigration judge. That's sort of for us the key starting point. Because really, unless you have a case, unless you have the opportunity to go in front of an immigration judge, you don't have an asylum case. That was Austin Coker with TRAC at Syracuse University. In March, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, better known as ICE, began contracting with hotels to house immigrant families rather than using detention centers. The families were allowed entry into the U.S. while their asylum claims are processed. In Tucson, most families come to Casa Alitas, a shelter run by Catholic Community Services. But in Yuma, the families are taken to a hotel. Yuma Mayor Douglas Nichols was against the hotel use in his community. It's a short-term solution. Um, I, and I hope the administration sees it that way too. Um, because really what needs to happen is what something that should have probably happened 20 years ago. And that's a, a readdressment of, of the whole immigration law and the policies associated with that law. Um, if it's going to be standard operating procedure, henceforth into the future, that's something I'm extremely critical of. The, the second element is our community, while we're growing and we're the third largest community in the state of Arizona, still has uh, very limited transportation resources. So a lot of these folks are actually going to be transported to either Phoenix or Tucson or somewhere in California for their ultimate transportation. So why not just do it all in one fail swoop? What was the community's reaction? Well, the first reaction is usually based out of ignorance, not understanding what the contract is and what the process is going to be and who's going to be going through the hotel system and how long people are staying. So um, there's usually a lot of questions or an assumption that they know and then um, you know, strong reaction based upon that. So once we have the conversation of what's really going on, um, that tends to temper most of the issues, but uh, there's still um, a grave concern that that's happening in our community. Um, you know, our hotels in Yuma are one of our major parts of our economy. So if you take one out, great, you still get the hotel rate, but you don't get the restaurants, you don't get the attractions, you don't get all those other things. And uh, it would seem with 4,000 hotel rooms in Yuma, that would be a lot. But we frequently fill uh, because of a lot of the contracting and all the other things that are happening. And so th there's a potential impact. So 
the reactions have been um, typically negative uh, on that implementation, but once they understand the, uh, the details, it's mitigated, but it's still a negative kind of response. When it comes to headlines, kind of where we started this discussion, the national headlines, the border's being overrun, it's not safe, you're the mayor of Yuma. What's the message you want to tell all those people as they look at those headlines? You got to dive into the details. Headlines never tell the story, right? And we all know that, but we all just love just to read the headlines. Um, they're the most sensational, right? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with understanding the border. So as you come to any area along the border, the dynamic is a whole lot different. So it's not like um, the dangerous part is like a war zone along, you know, a border that's uh, engaged in war. However, there are things to be aware of when you come here, places you, you don't want to go. Um, it's also good to understand the difference between the type of migrants coming through. There's the, the families, uh, and I would say probably the m most of the migrants that come through are coming through to look for a better life. There is a criminal element. Um, they do operate differently and they do cross the border differently than, than the family units. And so I, I think it's more of, a, of an awareness that people need to have, um, but really, the, it's not like anywhere else in the country. So when we get to, if, if and when we ever get to immigration reform, we need to be able to take it in segments so that the Arizona, especially the border experience, is different than the Kansas experience, which is different than the Georgia and the New York, because they all experience the impacts of immigration, positive and negative, uh, but we experience them differently. Um, so recognizing that is, is really important. Not getting caught up in... in um, what uh, the headline is, because the numbers are, are there. The, the numbers are above, extremely above normal, four to eight times above normal. Um, that impacts, more importantly, our Border Patrol, our ICE, and our Customs officials, because there just isn't the extra capacity and, and resources to, to accept that surge, which is why you have things like the hotel and the releases in Summerton. Um, but that's a very isolated, um, situation to that those law enforcement type activities. That was Yuma Mayor Douglas Nichols, and that's the buzz for this week. Next week, we'll continue our look at the border by numbers, diving into the dangers along the border. Make sure to visit our website to see all of the border data. You can also find all of our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Elisa Resnick helped produce this week's show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.